Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. My name is Fitz. Uh, I'm the family ministry pastor here at Kingsburg Church. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go with some of our students, 20 some odd of our students uh, and a couple of leaders to Washington, D.C. on a missions experience. Uh, and while there, we just had a great time uh, serving the folks there with a group uh, called CSM and other local organizations. Uh, we did everything from helping to pull weeds at a local monastery that provided food for uh, food banks and farmers markets, things like that. We did odd jobs for some senior citizens, pulled off a vacation Bible school for some kiddos in Ward 8, and it was just super great week, super rewarding to be with a group of people, particularly teenagers, who were loving Jesus and doing something about it. Um, it also gave me the opportunity to rewind uh, my memory banks to about 13 years ago, to the first time I took students on a missions experience to Washington, D.C. I was a, a student pastor in Missouri. Um, that trip could best be characterized as um, an unmitigated disaster. And you may be thinking, oh, that's harsh. How could you say that about a missions experience? Just wait. So um, let me just detail some of the things that happened that week. First of all, we showed up the day before the trip because we had rented uh, five 15-passenger vans from a rental agency in St. Louis about two hours from our church um, to take this trip and another trip. And when we got there, they had exactly zero vans for us. So we're not even on the trip yet. It's already blowing up in our face. So they gave us a fleet of SUVs and minivans to take on the trip. Um, so the next day, um, about an hour and a half into our 15-hour, two-day trip, like who plans, who plans a trip like that with students? Anyway, um, about an hour and a half into the trip, one of the vans, mine, stopped working so much and so I had to take a detour, adding time to my trip, and, and swap it out at the Louisville airport. Uh, when we got to uh, where we were going, and we were having our first meal together there in D.C., uh, a couple of my adult leaders, a married couple, um, they got word that their dog back in Missouri had tragically and suddenly died. I know, that's, for some of you, that's like the worst part of this whole story, and I don't blame you. Uh, we had relational conflict throughout the week uh, between one of my adult leaders and one of my students because the student had a developmental disorder that we were unaware of, causing us to not be able to read some of his behaviors and some of his mannerisms uh, correctly. Uh, we had two vans broken into, so that was cool. Um, and then I had one of my leaders get arrested, uh, detained detained, let's call it what it is, um, by the police at Reagan International Airport because he was, he was pulled over, he was parked in an area he wasn't supposed to be in, and when the police approached him, he couldn't produce an ID because it had just been stolen out of the broken into van. So he got, he got to know the, the inside of the holding cell in Reagan International Airport, so that was fun. And so you hear that and you're like... 
Why did you take students back there again? Why would you do that? Why did you not quit student ministry altogether? It's because I'm stubborn or stupid, one of the two, and I just wanted to redeem that experience. And see, when we returned from that trip, we felt a little bit like Chippy the Parakeet. <laughs> Who the heck is that? Uh, Chippy the Parakeet, Max Licato tells the story of Chippy the Parakeet in one of his best-selling books. Chippy the Parakeet was living a normal, ordinary parakeet life when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage. And so the owner got out the vacuum cleaner, took off the attachment, and went to vacuum out the inside of the cage, got a phone call, and all of a sudden, Chippy got sucked right into the vacuum cleaner. Quick thinking owner, quick opens up the vacuum, opens up the bag, and there is Chippy. <laughs> Completely stunned, covered in dust, covered in dirt, and so again, quick thinking owner runs over to the bathroom faucet and sticks Chippy under the water. And now Chippy is soaked and shivering, so once again, Chippy's owner does what any caring owner would do, gets the hairdryer and blasts Chippy in the face with hot air. Poor little Chippy. <laughs> Didn't know what hit him. And a few, a few days after this incident, the, the reporter who first reported this story called the owner like, how the heck is Chippy doing? And the owner replied, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> he just sits and stares. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, can you relate? <laughs> you know, I, with my disastrous trip to Washington, D.C., and Chippy shared something in common. We both had great plans. I had plans to take students to D.C. and to impact the community and take my students one step closer to Jesus. Chippy had plans to grow up and live an awesome parakeet life, have a parakeet family, maybe fly free someday, I don't know. But at the end of the day, all either of us could do was sit and stare. And every single person in this room right now, every single person watching online knows what I'm talking about. Because you've had plans that have gotten detoured that have gotten derailed, that have just completely crumbled all together in front of you. You had, uh, you had plans to go on a, a vacation this summer, and then uh, illness or injury got in the way, and you had, to, you had to put those plans on hold. You had plans to, to, to get a new vehicle, and then all of a sudden some bills came in that you weren't expecting, and you gotta push pause on those plans. Maybe you decided, okay, it's time to stop renting. I'm going to buy a house. And then you found out houses are stupid expensive right now. And you had to wait on that. Or, or maybe your plans are even more significant. Maybe you had plans to, to get pregnant, start a family, or to grow your family through adoption, or, or to change careers, or, or to retire. And something has happened to those plans. They've gotten derailed. As the great Jewish theologian Woody Allen once said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. 
And if we rewind the clock about 2,000 years, we'll see Paul, the early leader in the Christian church, could have said the very same thing. And so we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. We've been following Paul for the past several weeks as he journeyed around the Mediterranean region, telling people about Jesus, inviting them into uh, the Jesus life. Um, So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with uh, me in them to Acts chapter 28. Acts is in the New Testament, which is the far right section of the Bible. Chapter 28 is right at the end. Or if you have a Bible app, you can follow it there or it'll be on the screen behind me. We'll start in Acts chapter 28, verse 1, which says, After reading lands, at reaching land safely, we learned that the island was called Malta. Let, let's pause right there. After reaching land safely. I think it's important to note that Malta was not in Paul's plans. This was not Luke's way of letting everyone know uh, Paul got to Malta safely like you would do with your kids saying, Hey, text me when you get there just so I know you got there okay. No, this was already a disruption in Paul's plans. He was heading to Rome, a much more influential location, so he could talk to people about Jesus and invite them into the Jesus life, but already he faced a significant disruption in his plans, specifically a shipwreck. If you look back in chapter 27, you see that the ship that Paul and the other prisoners were on uh, ran aground. And Paul and his other fellow prisoners had to swim or uh, float with wood planks to shore, a la Rose from Titanic. Anyway, um, and I think it's also important to not skim over the fact that Paul here was a prisoner. This was also not part of the plan. When Paul started following Jesus, he didn't think, I think I'm going to rile things up so I get thrown in prison. Nobody does that. And yet, here he is. He probably recognized it as a possibility, but it wasn't part of his plan. And so here he is shipwrecked as a prisoner. So already, before we even get into the story we're going to look at today, we're off to a great start. But now that Paul is on shore, things turn out okay. Verse 2 says, the islanders showed us extraordinary kindness because it was rainy and cold. They built a fire and welcomed all of us. And Paul's probably going, ah, a respite from all of the catastrophes. This is fantastic. That window, that respite, closes really quickly for Paul, and it often does that for us as well. So Luke goes on and says, Paul gathered a bunch of dry sticks and put them on the fire. As he did, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, latched onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. He was rescued from the sea, but the goddess justice hasn't let him live. Everything's good. Everything's great. We're having s'mores by the fire. And a snake jumps out, latches on to Paul's hand. Not part of the plan. But it only gets worse. Not only does he literally have a snake hanging from his hand, the islanders blame it on him, telling him he must be a murderer, which seems like a, a, a logical leap to you and me. It's like, how do you get from point A to point B? He gets bit by a snake, so he must be a murderer. 
Well, this highlights a, a popular theological mindset that the islanders ascribe to. We talked about it a few weeks ago, that if good things happen to you, you must have done something to please the gods. If bad things happen to you, you must have done something to displease the gods. This is the mindset, the theological mindset that these islanders operated under. And it continued to be obvious in what happened next. Verse five. Paul shook the snake into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected him to swell up with fever or suddenly drop dead. After waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to claim that he was a god. So Paul experienced something good. He didn't get sick or die. So naturally, he must be a god. We would all naturally think that, right? But we don't. See, Paul's journey through the Mediterranean region was filled with all sorts of ups, but plenty of downs. It can best be illustrated this way. These are Paul's plans. He had, he had all sorts of plans for how he was going to operate. Those are how his plans turned out. He might as well have not made any plans in the first place because very few of them came to fruition as he envisioned them. And you know what this feels like. You have plans as well. And you've watched them as they've been shredded in front of your eyes. You've seen this happen. And when this happens, we experience any sort of emotions from annoyance to frustration, sadness, anger. And if we're not careful, we can take it one step further and put a theological spin on things like the Islanders on Malta did with Paul, assigning the wrong messages to the circumstances that he was experiencing. And when we do that, when our plans get disrupted or derailed, we can often view life like Ralphie views life in A Christmas Story. Do you remember A Christmas Story, the greatest Christmas movie of all time? No argument. There is one scene where, where Ralphie gets a decoder ring from his Ovaltine. You remember this scene? He gets this decoder ring so he can read the secret message that is read during the Little Orphan Annie radio hour. And so he gets the decoder ring and he turns it and he gets the message only to find out that it says, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> it's just, a, just, an, just an ad campaign. He was so disappointed and disillusioned. We have a tendency to view the circumstances in our life, the change plans in our life through a secret decoder ring. We, we try to interpret what God is telling us through life's ups and downs. The islanders viewed the snake bite and the resulting lack of illness through a theological decoder ring. If bad things happen, it's because of the gods. If good things happen, it's because of the gods. It sounds super primitive. But we do the same thing. We all do the same thing. It just sounds different. We verbalize it differently. Here's what it sounds like when we do it. It must not be what God wanted because God closed the door. Or it must have been God's will because God opened all sorts of doors for me. God confirmed this decision because look at how well it has played out. Or I must, have, I must have not been hearing God because, man, bad things have happened since that point in time. 
Do any of those statements sound familiar to you? Like, I would guess that maybe you or someone close to you has said something similar to them. And what we're really saying is because things are good in my life, I must be smack dab in the center of God's will, of God's desire for my life. And if they're going badly, well, I must be displeasing God in some way. God must be redirecting me to something else. It's not far removed from what the islanders on Malta believe, but I wonder if we're mistaking happiness for God's blessing and direction. My degree from uh, college was in radio television production. Didn't use the the degree, and it's fine. Um, In that degree program, we had to write, uh, we had to take some journalism classes, and we would have to write articles, Um, We would have to write copy for broadcasts. And um, the most eye-catching piece of an article, the part that's going to catch a reader's attention and get them to read on, it's usually in bigger print, is called the headline. Exactly. It's called the headline. Well done. And then there might be some other pieces of information that maybe don't fit into the article anywhere, but they might shed some light on the situation. So you might insert a footnote into the article. That's information that's going to help you understand the piece or give credence to the article a little bit better. When we take the circumstance excuse me, when we take the circumstances in our lives and read God's blessing into them. We are giving the circumstances the headline when in reality, they may only deserve a footnote. So things are good, so the headline reads, life is good, God must be pleased with me. Or maybe things are bad, maybe the situation's really bad and so we mistakenly make the headline, God is moving me to something else. And the reality is there's, There's not a lot to base this theological standing on. So let's not give the circumstances in our lives the headline when they may only deserve the footnote. See, the problem comes because of this line of thinking. What it could do is it could actually derail us from what God wants to do in and through our lives. How God is truly leading If you turn over to 2 Corinthians, just a couple of books to the right of the book of Acts, Paul lists what he has experienced as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Dude, what a list. I've been imprisoned. I've been beaten more times than I can count. I've faced death many times. I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews five times. I was beaten with rods three times. I was stoned once. I was shipwrecked three times. I spend a day and night on the open sea. I've been on many journeys. I face dangers from rivers, robbers, my people, and the Gentiles. I face dangers in the city, in the desert, on the sea, and from false brothers and sisters. I face these dangers with hard work and heavy labor, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, and in the cold without enough clothes. So what if Paul had adopted this mindset that we adopt? And given the circumstances in his life, the headline, instead of the footnote, any one of those circumstances would have been fodder for him to say, God's not pleased with me, or God is redirecting me to something else, or to bail altogether. And if he had, where would we be? 
Like it would completely change the face and history of Christianity as we know it. But it wasn't just Paul. All of the early disciples faced significant hardship in their lives. And any one of those pieces of information could have been interpreted as God closing the door in their lives. Here's the thing, hardships are a part of being human. It's part of what we sign up for as humans. It's going to happen to us. But see, we're here because those first followers of Jesus did not view the circumstances in their life, the difficult circumstances, the failed plans in their lives through a theological decoder ring. And, dis- and, and define it as God redirecting them to something else. But one more example. While on earth, in human form, Jesus was smack dab in the center of God's will for his life. Anyone want to argue that? Don't argue that one. I think it's a safe statement to make. And yet he faced any, any amount of circumstances that he could have interpreted as God leading him to something else. The religious leaders are always giving me a hard time. God must be redirecting me to something else. Now, these people led me to the edge of a cliff to throw me off. God must be telling me to do something else with my life. Arrested, falsely imprisoned, I am clearly not hearing well enough from God. I need to be doing something different with my life. But he didn't do that. (laughs) He didn't take the failed plans of his life to change circumstances of his life and make them the headline and thank God that he didn't. Because if he had, where would we be? We'd be lost, figuratively and literally. So if God didn't necessarily illuminate God's path through the circumstances that Paul experienced or the disciples experienced or that Jesus experienced, Why do we? Like, what makes us think that God is going to communicate to us through this secret decoder ring when he didn't do it to these leaders of our faith? So if we can't read into the tea leaves of the changing circumstances of our lives to determine God's will, to determine God's blessing, how do we? I want to invite you to go with me briefly to a story in the Old Testament, a guy named Elijah. We, we did a series just prior to this series on the lives of Elijah and Elisha. If you missed any of them, go to our YouTube page. You can catch up on all of them. This particular story, uh, Elijah is on the run from Queen Jezebel. Queen Jezebel wants him dead, and so he is hiding in a cave. And the Lord called him out of the cave, and uh, we read that a very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin, quiet. Elijah could very easily have given the strong wind the headline in his life. He could have given the earthquake or the fire the headline in his life. But those were the footnotes. Those were the footnotes. The thin, quiet sound, or other translations, the quiet whisper. That was the headline. Because that's where God was found. 
Our family, we have uh, several uh, smart speakers scattered throughout our house. Do you have the smart speaker, the echoes, and what, one of you? Okay, they've been around for a while, people. Okay, anyway, so uh, we, we have several of them in our house, and, and there are many evenings uh, or afternoons where I'll be in the kitchen cleaning the kitchen, music playing on the speaker, you know, so I've got the water running, dishes clanging, and Marcy, my wife, or one of my kids might be in the living room saying something to me. And with the music playing, water running, the dishes clanging, uh, and the fact that my ears just aren't young anymore, um, I can't hear a word they're saying at all. But what's the most important thing for me to listen to? Is it Hamilton on the speaker? No. <laughs> You're not paying attention. <laughs> is, it, is it the dishes? Is it the running water? No, it's my family. <laughs> They're the important voices, even though they might not be the loudest. And if we want to be able to truly determine how God is moving, how God is leading, whether or not God is redirecting us, in light of the changing circumstances in our lives, we have to listen. Not to the noisy clang of the failed plans in our lives, although that's going to be there. We need to listen to the still, small voice of God. Because that's the important voice to listen to. Even though it might not be the loudest. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I want to give you three suggestions. Three suggestions. First of all, make space. Make space. Do you have space in your life? It's hard to find, isn't it? With work and caring for family and paying bills and going to the grocery store and running kids to activities and Whatever you have going on in your life, it's tough to make space, but we need to make space to simply be alone with God. It's not going to come naturally. It's not going to come easy to us. The noise is addictive. The noise is the norm, but nothing important, nothing worth it is ever easy. So are you getting alone to be quiet with God? I'm not, I'm not talking about sitting, sitting there and listening to worship music or reading a devotional book or something like that. Like, Quiet, like silent, so you can actually hear from God. So can you get alone? Be silent. Turn your phone like all the way off, not just a silent, leave it in another room. Be quiet and get away from the noise. Fitz, I can only do that for like two minutes. Awesome. Do two minutes. Do what you can. Maybe next week do three minutes. To be quiet and listen to God. Pay attention to his voice so you know what it sounds like. Second, pay attention to how God has created you. Pay attention to how God has created you. Paul knew who he was. He was a challenger that God used to, to change the world, to transform the world for Jesus Christ. And that was truth from God that he could lean into when plans went sideways. When things got hard, he didn't bail on it because he knew this was who God designed him to be. And so who are you? Do you know who you are? Well, sure, I'm a spouse, I'm a dad, I'm an engineer. No, no. Like, who are you? At the core of your being, 
Who are you? How has God created you individually? Maybe you're like, I don't know how to do that. Uh, maybe uh, talking to a counselor helps. I think that's a great place to go. Another uh, easier way to do it is maybe take some inventories. Some are available online, some are available in books. One would be a spiritual gifts inventory. Find out the gifts that, that God has given you to serve the church. Uh, one is called, another one is called Myers-Briggs. Anyone familiar with the Myers-Briggs? Yeah, it gives you four letters. So you're like, I come home from a party, I'm exhausted. Well, that's because you're an introvert and you don't like big groups of people. You get your energy from small groups of people. So maybe Myers-Briggs is one of them. Strengths Finder is another one that helps you determine what you're strong at and what you're not so strong at. My personal favorite is called the Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. There are nine personality types and helps you figure out how you function, how you survive in this world, how you function when you're healthy or when you're stressed. Um, so maybe you need to do some hard work in figuring out who, who am I? Like how has God created me? And then finally, listen to what God has placed on your heart. What has God placed on your heart? Maybe it's caring for the poor. Maybe it's adoption and foster care. Maybe it's writing and communication. Maybe it's working with animals. Maybe it's educating the next generation. Something that you are passionate about, that gets your juices flowing. God has placed that in your heart. God has placed that in your spirit. Figure out what that is, because identifying that will help guide you in next steps. Theologian uh, Frederick Beekner once wrote, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So when you do this, when you do the hard work of getting still to listen to God and to yourself, what it does is it right-sizes the voices in your life. It puts the, the small, sometimes still voice of God in the place of the headline. And it takes that noisy, failed plan in your life that's shredded in front of you and it makes it the footnote. James writes in uh, the first chapter of James, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, when we give the circumstances in our lives, when we give the failed plans of our lives, the headline, we're blown and tossed about on the sea. But when we give God the place, when we give God's still small voice the place of the headline, it makes everything stable. Because God is stable. God is never wavering. So maybe you're like Chippy. <laughs> You're sitting and staring because your plans have, been, have, have failed and you don't know what to do. Maybe you're thinking, God is redirecting me to some, something else. Maybe he is. But I think in most cases, it's just the fact that life is hard. So let's do the hard work of listening to God and listening to how God has created us. Let's make God's voice the headline. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are constantly speaking even today. And sometimes it's super hard to hear you because life is super noisy. Particularly when our plans fail, that is super clangy. But thank you that you are still speaking. That you don't want us to try and figure out this, out this life on our own. 
So God, would you help us? Help us to do the hard work of listening to you, of listening to how you've created us and what you've placed on our hearts. And help us to make that the headline of our lives so that we can live on solid footing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.